Welcome to the Operation Crest Podcast. I'm Shaw. And I'm Luke. And we are the co-hosts of today's episode. Operation Crest is an effort from the 957 Project to empower high school students like us to reserve memories of America's veterans and to share their stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Each of these interviews will be donated to the Library of Congress to be preserved for future generations. And you can hear other episodes of the show on wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to stick around at the end of this episode to hear us reflect on what we learned during the following conversation. Learn more at www.the957project.org slash Operation Crest. And now, let's begin the show. Today, we are interviewing retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel Rogers Raj Stinson. He is a veteran with over 20 years of active duty service. During his career, Raj served as a CH-47B Chinook heavy lift helicopter pilot and maintenance test pilot. He has served both in combat and in support of peacetime operations around the world. Raj served in Iraq with the 3rd Combat Aviation Brigade in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom 5-6, where he commanded an aviation support company, leading over 350 soldiers and Department of Defense contract support personnel. He is a 1995 graduate of Furman University, where he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Chemistry and then was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. Raj also holds a Master of Arts degree in Human Resources Management from Webster University. Raj retired from active duty in 2015 and is the co-founder of Logistics Associates, LLC, headquartered in Northern Virginia, where he currently serves as Chief Operating Officer and Vice President for Human Resources. He's a proud father of two children and a professional photographer. So I'm just going to start off with uh, asking uh, what war or wars did you fight in or where were you stationed or where did you serve? Yeah, no. Uh, so I started out, uh, let me answer the first question. I was in uh, OIF, uh, which is Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, more specifically, I was in what's called OIF 5-6, which uh, was in 2007 to 2008. That was during the major surge in Iraq. Um, I am, I, I served as a, as an aviation officer. I flew Chinook helicopters. And so I started my military career right out of college, uh, and went to a place called Fort Rucker, Alabama, which is home of army aviation, where all of us go to flight school. And then I served at a myriad of, of places along the way before I ended up in Iraq. Uh, I was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, I spent almost three years in Korea. In fact, I was in Korea on 9-11. And then uh, after three years of being in Korea, came back to the States where I was assigned to Fort Stewart, Georgia, which is who I ended up deploying um, to Iraq with. Uh, and uh, that was, again, during what's called Operation Iraqi Freedom 5-6. And most recently, uh, I retired out of the military, out of the Pentagon, in uh, 2015, where I had the, uh, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to work uh, in what's called the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs Staff, uh, and and so the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs is the senior advisor to the President, and so I had the opportunity to work on his staff and get some exposure to some really interesting things and and meet some interesting people and use what I learned uh, throughout my career and experience in Iraq uh, to help shape some things that you see and hear about in your everyday life on the news and read in the papers. Well, I don't know if anybody reads the newspaper anymore, but you hear in the news now. Um, does your family have a history in the military or 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So interestingly enough, I did I don't consider myself as coming from a military family. My my godfather, uh, who is like my my second father, um, served in the military. In fact, he was uh, the one who commissioned me as a lieutenant. So he was my only family, uh, you know, direct family that was in the military. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, my my children's mom. Uh, I met her in the military, so we became a military family. That's very interesting. Um, I was curious, you mentioned um, being on sort of like a uh, committee or closely associated with the president. Um, I was wondering if you ever actually got to meet the president personally or meet any high-ranking members in, the, in his cabinet. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, actually, yes. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, then Samantha Power, who was uh, on the uh, national security staff, who later became the ambassador, our ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, when when I worked in the Pentagon, I worked for a, a two-star general who uh, frequently met with Samantha Power. I did get to spend some time over uh, in the White House complex. I never was fortunate enough to meet uh, then President Obama. Um, but I was exposed to some really interesting and neat stuff, stuff that the average person doesn't really get exposure to. Um, but it was, but I had firsthand account and exposure to things that uh, I would see on the news when I came home that night. So that was probably one of the coolest things about my experience was getting to uh, go over to the White House, uh, meet members of the staff deal directly with things that, again, we would see and read and hear about uh, on the news in almost real time. You, you've had a very wide career in the military. What inspired you or what caused you to join the military? So what, uh, I'll, there's two ways to answer that. You know, what, what, what draws us to the military and what keeps us in the military? What drew me to the military? Straight up, I needed a way to pay for college. That was it. I was a, I was a sophomore uh, in college, uh, and my parents were were paying for college, and I felt that if I was not going to do well, I didn't want it to be at the behest of my parents. So, uh, my roommate, interestingly enough, was uh, a cadet, and uh, I decided to seek it out myself, and that's what drew me to. Um, being interested in the military, the military was the last place I ever thought I'd find myself. But as we get older and we get more mature, we do things uh, for different reasons. What drew me to the military was a need to fund my college. What kept me in the military and what inspired me to, to stay in the military and make a career of it uh, was a number of things um, was uh, meetings, meeting my, my then wife, uh, who was an amazing officer and inspired me. I had a mentor who I looked up to in the military. And so it was a combination of, of relationships that actually inspired me to want to stay in the military and make it a career. Because you can join the military and whether you serve for one year, two years, 10 years, or 20 years as, as I did, uh, service is service. And so... Um, I was fortunate enough to make a career of it and continue to get promoted. And 
and uh, continue to serve. So again, that's why I say what what drew me to it and what kept me in it uh, were two different things. Some others you ask that question, they may have a long lineage um, of family member in the military, and that's what's inspired them. For me, it was again, it was very a, a very basic need that then grew into a passion and desire to to do more, to do better. And quite frankly, it's the people that, that kept me in because I met some amazing people uh, along the way. Could you recall um, any experiences you had during boot camp or initial training for the military or armed services? Oh, gosh. Uh, it, it, anything specific because I could, <laughs> I could spend hours telling you stories everywhere from basic training to going to army airborne school and jumping out of airplanes. Um, I would say that one of the things that stands out the most was my experience when I was at Fort Bidding, Georgia. As a matter of fact, I was still a cadet. I wasn't even actually technically in the army yet. Um, but I was fortunate enough to go to army airborne school uh, that's where we learn how to jump out of airplanes. And, and I was exposed to Navy, Air Force, Marines, so many different branches within that organization. And in particular, I was in a unit surrounded by Marines. And I will never forget, um, I was in it, there was about 200 Marines in, the, in my jump class. And this group was the tightest bunch of guys and gals that I'd ever met. And at that point I was a sophomore in college. And one day we were all sitting out, taking a break under the, in the shade uh, and the Fort Benning heat of a, about 101 degrees. And I asked one of the uh, Marines that I was talking to, I said, where are you guys from? And he said, Oh, we're from all over. I said, well, what unit are you with? He goes, we're from all over. And I said, you mean you guys didn't all come from the same place? He says, no. There's about three or four different units here. And I said, that is the tightest bunch of individuals that I'd ever met that were from different places. You would have thought they went to high school together. They, they got in trouble together. They cut up together. And I was so inspired by just that. I, I, I will, I, I got to admit, I was a little jealous and I, I was envious because I'd never seen that level of, of uh, spree de corps between a group of individuals that clearly had come from not only different backgrounds, but literally from different units and had only been together for two or three days. So that really inspired me. And that kind of describes um, the relationship that, that we who wear the uniform have with so many others uh, and other members that work with the 950 pro 957 project that I've, gotten to know that I've known since flight school and the same thing. We're like, we're like family. My kids call them uncle. Um, just like, uh, you would call, I would call my brother or sister. And, uh, but it's, it's a tight close knit relationship that, uh, is absolutely amazing. So that's the best story I have of being inspired early on by something I witnessed, uh, firsthand. Hope that answers your question. Yes. Thank you. So I do have another question. Did you yeah. have any um, difficulty like starting out as a cadet in boot camp? Like were there, there any struggles that you had to go through or like ways you dealt with it? 
yeah, absolutely. Listen, if if you're not if you don't have if you're not afraid of something, something's wrong with you. That's the way I tell folks. Um, yes, all of it, all of it. Whether it's uh, being in, being uh, exposed to hot weather, cold weather, I wasn't in the best shape of my life, best shape when I started out. Uh, but it's one of those. It was one of those things that the more effort and energy I put into both my physical fitness, my mental fitness, uh, and even spiritual fitness, all those things kind of come together. Everybody's good at something and not good at others. And so it's that ability to identify with what you're not so good at or what you fear. Um, I'll tell you right now, I used to be afraid of the dark. I didn't get up. I got over my fear of being in the dark when I was a cadet down at Fort Jackson. I went down to help. I went down as part of a program to help train the seniors and they took us out and we were responsible for going out in two man teams, helping set up a training lane. And at some point I found myself in the middle of nowhere by myself in the dark and I remember, I can remember like it was yesterday, just going, huh? Okay, yeah. I'm in the dark. It's just me. I guess I'm okay. That is that is when I I can re- honestly say I remember getting over my fear of the dark. Um. Everybody has their own thing. I'm afraid of heights, and I'm a pilot. How about that? Uh, you know, so, so again, so, uh, so depending on where we are, you know, we have to do things to help us help ourselves overcome certain fears, depending on uh, when and where we are. But yeah, getting over the fear of the dark. And I would also say being comfortable being in miserable weather. I was, uh, I can remember standing out in the middle of Fort Knox on a training exercise and the pouring rain I mean, soaked to the bone and uh, thinking, okay, this isn't that bad. I thought it was going to be a lot worse, but I can do this. And I got over the, I remember, like I said, like it was yesterday, of standing in the pouring rain, it was thundering and and what have you. And, uh, you know, no one likes it. How many times have you seen folks get out of a car and they go running through the rain because they don't want to get wet? And then every now and then you might see somebody who's just kind of, walking along like it's really no big deal. And so that was one of my most memorable moments was standing in the pouring cold rain and uh, just thinking, I'll be all right. It's not that bad. The latter is definitely me. Personally, I really like to just kind of stand and take in the rain. It's very enjoyable. You're going to be in the rain anyway. You might as well not stress yourself yeah, out, you know? And like I said, some people don't mind the rain. Some people don't mind the heat. It just all depends, you know? But it's when you bring those folks together that you can inspire one another to, to kind of overcome your fears or your displeasures or the things that you don't like. In the end, it's just water. It's just so- water. <laughs> So you mentioned you were a pilot. So I was curious as to uh, what planes you like practice flying with and what planes you actually flew during active service. Yeah, no, that's a good, good, uh, good question. So um, I actually didn't fly planes. I flew helicopters. So I flew uh, in flight school. I flew um, civilian 
what's like a civilian. It's called a Jet Ranger. It looks a lot like something you might see on the news. Uh, I also got to fly uh, Hueys, which are old Vietnam era helicopters that most folks think of when you think of Vietnam. That's that that's what you see in Vietnam. And then for the majority of my career, I flew Chinook helicopters, which are the big heavy lift tandem rotor uh, aircraft that you might see sometimes flying overhead, uh, hauling big loads and, and carrying big stuff. Very cool. It so, was. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So while you were like in the military, of course you had downtime, you know, between what, what you're doing. What, how did you spend that downtime? Like, did you engage with other people? Did you play games? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uh, first of all, my, my best friends, uh, I met my best friends in the military. And to this day, I still stay connected. And I mean, we did everything, anything you can think of that you would do in a normal life, we would do. I, I worked out, I hiked, I fished. Um, I mean, I traveled. Uh, you know, the military is one of those professions where it's like a nine to five job in that when you're not at work, you have time to go do whether it's go to sporting events or I, I was big into the gym or, or what have you. The only difference is uh, you have to be ready to be called to go somewhere at a moment's notice. And so um, really what we, what I did, I did a lot of things that helped me um, prepare for that. I spent a lot of time early on. I spent a lot of time in the gym. Uh, I got into fitness. I got into uh, I was still into reading and I was into music. I was into all those things that, that, uh, that I, I loved video. Listen, I played some really cool video games uh, with some of the guys in my unit. Uh, what was cool at that point, I'm sure you guys will look at it and go, that's kind of lame now, but, uh, but got into playing video games. Um, but I would say my favorite thing to do was, was to train physically, I, to run, to ski, to stay in shape, uh, to build myself up physically and, and mentally. I was a personal trainer. Uh, part of my, uh, when I was a lieutenant, that was something I got into outside of work. Um, and uh, some guys and gals get into computers, some guys and gals get into woodwork. I mean, we have our own hobbies just like any other person. It's just when it's time to put that down and go to work, we just tend to go to work in a, an unusual place that most people don't go. So during your downtime, what were some of your favorite video games to play or some of the favorite books that you read? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. So we had a game called my favorite, my favorite online game. Uh, this was when, and this was when the internet was really starting to come about. So we had things called dial up, which you guys would look at now and go dial up, you know? Yeah. Uh, but command and conquer was probably one of my favorite games to play because I could play online with, buddies of mine and it required strategy and and it's a lot like playing chess except you were controlling forces and there are other games today that are similar to that um that uh i'm sure you guys have, have played uh but that was one of my one of my favorite games if you will to play and i mean i was playing with other senior leaders oh i mean these are old guys with kids and we're playing video games you know so uh, it was kind of neat to, to do those things. Um, 
What was the other part of your question? I'm sorry. Some of your favorite books that you read on downtime. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it's, it's a, that's a great question. So what I like to read then and what I've begun to read now are two very different things. I used to like to read fantasy novels and, and Tom Clancy books and things like that. Um, but what I read now, uh, I got away from reading fiction because what I learned was there are so many books about the military and operations and events that I have a connection to that I decided, you know, I'm not going to read about fantasy. I'm going to read about things that I actually have a connection to, or that I know someone or that I was there. And what I learned, and I, and it started with reading books about the Navy, about uh, the sinking of the USS independence to, to uh, reading about things that took place in Afghanistan. And all of a sudden, what, what I realized is, wow, I've, not only do I get to read about history, but I got to be a part of history in some regards. Um, General Lynch, who was the 3rd Infantry Division commander when I was in Iraq, General Rick Lynch used to fly around during doing battlefield circulation, and he would land and he would come out and talk to us, whether we were at the hangar or we were out at a Ford area refueling point. And one of the things that he said that always stuck with me, he said, some people choose to read about history. Others choose to be a part of history. And I didn't have an absolute appreciation for that until one day I was debating about what kind of book I wanted to read. And I started, I picked up a book that had to do with something in Afghanistan I didn't serve in Afghanistan, by the way, but I had a number of friends and colleagues that were in Afghanistan. And I start reading and I realize I know these people. I mean, I went to flight school with this guy or I had, I drank beer with this guy when I was at Fort Campbell. And so these amazing stories about these amazing people, it's not fiction, it's real. And so now I like to read things that, uh, that I have a connection to. Um, that includes 9-11, reading books about 9-11 uh, or reading books about things that have occurred uh, in, in, in your local area. I mean, so that's, that's my thing. I like to read about things that, that I have a connection to or that somehow I, I can relate to. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, moving on. Did you, were you, did you, were you able to see any combat or... Yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, I mean, I spent 15 months in Iraq. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Did I see and hear things blow up? Yes. Um, was I scared? Yes. Um, did I have the exact same experience as every other individual who was there? No, because depending on where we were and what we were doing, we all had different experiences. My job at the time was I was flying. I was flying. I was fixing aircraft and I was getting aircraft ready to hand that back over to the operations guys so they could go fly missions. There were guys and gals out there that were out in the middle of Baghdad in the neighborhoods, you know, patrolling the streets and 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 dealing with things that are more immediate threat. So. It really depends on where you were and where you are at the level of threat that you had to contend with. Um, at night, 
sirens would go off. My biggest worry was something coming over and landing in my in my sleeping area that was intended to hurt me. Uh, and you know, and and having to contend with that possibility. But one of the things that I like to tell folks is Iraq was like being in a big, bad neighborhood. Depending on where you were, determine the level of threat or concern. But you were always concerned because you were in a place that you didn't really want to be. Bad things could happen to you. And you were there to do a job and take care of the people that you were with. Um, did I see some things that um, I, I would have preferred not to see? Yes. Um, but did we focus on that? Not so much. Um, but yes, I've, I've seen some things that, that the, I hope the average person doesn't have to get to experience or doesn't have to get to see. I understand. Did that, did that answer your question? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. This is a, good is question, a by the way. This is a podcast that seeks stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Do you have any stories that relate to those themes that you would like to share? Yeah, you know, uh, I've been I've been waffling over that that very question because what what I think is interesting or what I think is a good story doesn't always translate into something that's interesting compared to what most folks associate with um, uh, with uh, with with being in the military. Um, I would I would have to say um, my best example is when I went to Iraq. Uh, I went to Iraq with I, I was fortunate enough to, to command an organization that was about three hundred and something people that I took over there, and I was in a group of of soldiers. I was surrounded by soldiers. Some that it was their third time going, some that it was their first time going some that had experience being in combat zones, others like myself who had never been in a combat zone. And so there's that, there's that heightened level of, of awareness and, and fear of the unknown that dominates you. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation where you walk around in a constant state of, of fear? You got this, you know, you've got this lump in your throat, like you're, you're nervous. Well, imagine, imagine going somewhere and, and, um, and waking up and going to sleep with that level of fear. And it's natural, but every day. Hmm. Fear of the unknown, if you will. Uh, and so it was that fear that I had to, to work through. Um, and we worked through it through... Uh, I, my battle buddy, my battle buddy was a was a was a was a veteran of of Iraq, uh, had been to Iraq, geez, uh, three times at that point. And so the resiliency part comes where comes with engaging with your with your battle buddy, with your soldiers, with those that have experienced it uh, and learning from them and drawing from them. And it's that that's the resilience piece that helps you go from a constant state of awareness and fear 
to, okay, I can, I can function, I can operate, I can do my job and at the same time work through um, the unknown, the uncertainty of what could happen to you. Thank you. Um, you know, I mean, by, by my very, by what I was doing, I was flying Chinook. So my job in and of itself had a level of, of danger that was inherent regardless of where I was. So throw that in with being in a place where there were some folks that didn't necessarily like us being there uh, that would not mind doing harm to us. Um, that's that getting over that fear and that unknown was the resiliency that, um, that really, I think back to the most uh, of going from, heightened state of, you know, hair staring up on the back of your neck to it's just another day in Iraq. So the first day versus the sixth month were very different. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't know if that, that answers your question. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, so if you have the chance to go back in time to a younger version of yourself, what would you say to yourself, say in high school or in college? Well, man, um, I don't think we have enough time for me to answer all that. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, no, I actually, I spent some time thinking about this, this very question and what I would tell you guys. Uh, and um, first of all, advice is like, opinions are like, like the brain. Everybody's got one. And so after a while, offering advice to folks, uh, folks tend to, tune you out because it's like, great. Okay. Here's somebody else. Tell me what they think I should do. What I will tell you that I have learned. I learned throughout my career that I would have told my younger self was to seek out a mentor and a mentor. Um, not everybody knows what a mentor is, but have you guys studied Greek mythology? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so, uh, so, have you heard the story of Mentor? Have not. I don't so, recall the, that story. Okay. Yeah, real quick. So, Mentor was comes from um, uh, Homer's The Odyssey, uh, and Odyssey, uh, uh, Odysseus was the king of uh, I think Ithaca, and fights in the Trojan War and whatnot. And um, when he goes off to war, um, uh, his son Telemarchus uh, is left with mentor to oversee and watch his son. And after the war, um, Odysseus uh, wanders, I think he wanders the, the, the world for, for 10 years trying to, trying to return home. And Telemarchus, his son, who's now grown, ventures out to search for his father. And, uh, and if I get the story wrong, again, it's been a long time since I read um, uh, Greek mythology, so forgive me. Um, but um, mentor, uh, it is, I believe it was Athena who assumes the form of mentor and serves as his guide throughout his quest to find his, his dad. And it's that, it's that, that's where the word mentor kind of comes from. It's a, it evolved to mean a trusted advisor, friend, teacher, or wise person. And so there are lots of examples in history that we May, you may or may not know about. I was in music. I played music. I was in the symphony. So one of the first ones that comes to mind is 
is Haydn and Beethoven. Haydn was a student of, of, of Beethoven or the, the philosophers uh, Socrates and Plato or um, uh, Edmund Freud and Carl Jung in the, in the world of psychology where you had um, a teacher and a protege. And it's that relationship where the mentor kind of helps guide, coach, teaches, and, and mentors, to use the verb, use it as a verb, to help guide that individual to success. Um, you have them and you don't – sometimes – I know I didn't realize I had them in high school, but your teachers, depending on the relationships you have with certain teachers, are your – you know, can be your mentor. Or uh, a neighbor can be a mentor. Somebody who has been – kind of where you'd like to go and you kind of model yourself after that individual and they kind of guide you through, and that could be through your church, through your school. Um, but I would, if I could do it again, I would have been more deliberate about finding someone or just identifying someone that says, Hey, you know, I like where he's going or where he's been. And then, kind of modeling yourself after building that relationship. Um, and, you know, I can tell you who my mentors are. Christopher Trevay was my men is, is my mentor to this day. I was a lieutenant. He was a major. And so he, he beat my butt as a lieutenant, hated the guy. And before I knew it, I grew. And, and then I wanted folks called me little Trevay. Biggest compliment they ever gave me was calling me uh, my mentors because he was somebody that I wanted to model myself after. I wanted to go where he went. He, he guided me and, and over, you know, looked over me much like your, your teachers do uh, much like your your parents do, or it could be a spiritual advisor at church or what have you. So I would have been a little bit more deliberate about it. even your friends can be a mentor. If you have an upperclassman who's, been successful at whether it's sports or it's at academics, you know, establishing that relationship and, and learning from them, um, you know, asking the similar questions, Hey, what was, what made you successful in this? Or, or, um, you know, asking, Hey, how do you think this is what I'd like to do? How do you, any, any thoughts on how I could achieve that being more deliberate about, identifying those individuals that you like where they seem to be going and then aligning yourself with those folks. And that will change in high school, whether you're in college, whether you're graduated uh, or you're in the military. I mean, that's, that's the one advice that I would give a younger um, Raj uh, in high school, not to mention, dude, you really need to study more, but that goes without saying. <laughs> Does your viewpoint on the military or the uh, past conflict you serve in, uh, has that changed over time from uh, what you initially thought of it when it first like broke out or when you, you uh, first heard of the military? Yes, that's a great, listen, that's a, ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, you guys have put together some, uh, some challenging questions to answer. Um, to answer your question, yes or no, yes, it has. Uh, to expand on that, I would say um, it, I have a, it is a more mature, realistic 
understanding of what the military is truly about. And, uh, and I believe the military's job, if you were to ask what's my job, our job is to be ready. Our job isn't to go hurt people or, or to kill people or all those negative things that you, you might associate with them. Our job is to be ready and hope that we never have to go. It's kind of like a fireman. A fireman's, a fireman's job is to be ready to go fight fire, but you hope and pray that he or she never has to go do that. But you want to know that if they're called upon to do it, that they're ready. And so that is an appreciation that I developed over the years about the military and why it's important to be ready. Um, and the way we prepare ourselves is to prepare ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually, uh, much like we, much like those in law enforcement, the fire department, you name it, any type of service. Um, it's about being ready. Um, so I have a question. What advice you, you touched on this earlier? What advice would you give young people listening to this interview? Oof. Okay, let me see if I can answer that and without getting up on a soapbox. Uh, because the higher you get up on a soapbox, the more people turn the volume down and they stop hearing you. So uh, I would say learn, learn, learn. Learn as much as you can about as much as you can. Now, that sounds a bit... Um, uh, I'll say that sounds a bit lofty, you know, like, yeah, no kid, learn about as much as you can about as much as you can. But uh, if I could go back and do it again, I would make learning even more important than I had at that age. Learn, 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 learn something about everything. Because the more, you know, um, here's a question for you. Um, how, how I got a question for you and, and either one of you can answer, how do you define success? Either one of you, what's success? And you, and you could just say a couple, I mean, a couple of words, what words come to mind when, when I say define success? Um, I mean, my definition of success might be different from a lot of other people's, but absolutely, I absolutely. And I, I said, give me one word answers. What are some one word answers when you think of success? What are, what are some words that come to mind? Contentment. Okay. I'm actually going to have to agree with uh, Shaw on that. Uh, I believe that success is just the state of being like content with yourself and being satisfied with what you just have achieved. Um, like success doesn't really come from fame or fortune or any of these preconceived notions that we've uh, developed over time that we okay. uh, that we've like established as like you know precedents for success. Um, I believe that like just remaining content and being just happy with what you've okay. done is the true meaning of success. I would throw out and I've, and I've, and, and there's no wrong answer. I've had, I've been in high school classrooms before in you know, years past and I've asked that same question and I've got everything from, from money to big house, to education, to you name it, a myriad of answers. And my opinion based off of my experience has become um, choices. Success for me has become about having choices. Um, 
And the more successful a person is, I believe, the more choices a person has. There's a difference, in my opinion, between choices and options. Options are not always favorable. You can do this, or you can do that. They both have some pretty, you know, I gotta sacrifice this to get this. But choices, choices are, are very different in that you're in a position to choose what what allows you, you know, what makes you happy. And whether that's money that allows that, or whether that's um, choosing between multiple colleges or scholarship, for me, choices has, has become my um, definition, one word definition of success. And so I, if, if I were talking to a younger me again, I would say, Raj, do what you can to increase your choices in life. Because the more choices you have, the more opportunities you have. And the more opportunities you have, the more the, the more you're able to to do those things that that inspire you, whether it's to help people or it's to bring folks along. I mean, what whatever it is, choices. Something to something to think about. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, is there anything else you would like to share before we complete the interview? Uh, I would just like to say thank you. Um, thank you for giving me giving me a chance to to share my thoughts, share what I've learned, um, and you know, you, you guys, you two are doing something that is really special, really important. Um, you're already doing those things that some of the things that I talked about about learning as much as you can and and exposing yourself to as much as you can, and and I think it's great. So. Uh, I just want to say thank you, and uh, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to come on and, and share my thoughts. And my goal is that someone somewhere hears something, uh, a lot of pronouns in there, uh, hears something and can benefit from it. And and if they uh, if they're able to benefit in any one little way, then then my time with you has been time well served. Yes, of course. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. We appreciate you imparting those words of wisdom on us and, and giving us stories and I don't know exactly how to describe it. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing your stories with us. Absolutely. Yes. Listen, I appreciate you guys. You guys are doing some good stuff there and, and uh, have a great rest of your day and a great rest of the week. Okay. Of course. Thank you. you Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, what an interesting interview. Some of the, uh, one of the main takeaways I uh, remember was uh, how Mr. Stinson uh, emphasized how important unity was and specifically how it could be found everywhere, especially at boot camp. Like you had all these, uh, all these uh, Marines from various different units who were all just acting like they were brothers or sisters and high school friends, which I thought was just straight up really interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed the fact that they had never met each other before now. In just a few short, like maybe three days, they, they got to know each other really well. And yeah, it's in a sort of family. It's crazy to think how about how close they actually got um, during boot camp, which is, which is like just really interesting. It's like they united and they banded together over the, the shared experience of being in boot camp. Um, I really enjoyed um, what he had to say for younger people. Like um, being able to learn as much as you can and absorbing all that knowledge so you can have the choices. You can have choices. You can 
have options. Yeah, he, he defines success as uh, being the uh, ability to make your own choices. Uh, we, we both replied to him, of course, saying that uh, success is really kind of defined by content. But I think his take on success was uh, uh, fascinating because he, the, uh, he uh, said the ability to have choices is different than like, having options. Because options, it's either like one or the other, and sometimes they aren't in your favor. Whereas choices, it's almost like entirely in your favor, and you have like the free will to actually, you know, makes make, like a choice. You can choose to do something, or you can choose to do nothing at all. And that's that's sort of the luxury of having success in life. Is success in life is you have choices. You have you're not locked into doing one specific thing. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. Mr. Simpson was talking about how he had to get through college. He didn't have the choice, he didn't have the luxury of being able to pay for his college some other way, so he joined the military. And I think it's interesting how that option later led him to having choices later in life. Definitely. So another takeaway that I had was that uh, Mr. Stinson uh, also said to have a mentor to look up to. Um, he, we went into a long discussion about that actually, um, specifically like just having someone to uh, look up to and uh, just kind of model your actions and your like, character around. I think his main um, point behind having a mentor or like just looking up to a mentor is just simply the fact that um, we get kind of like a background on what, on how the idea of a mentor emerged and he was also talking about how like having a mentor to like look for to for guidance even in like the most dire situations is the best thing to have because there are times in life when you're gonna feel like you're truly alone and you just need help from someone or someone to look up to they they're gone on the same path that you're looking forward to so they have that experience and they have that wisdom and they can give you that guidance because they likely made plenty of mistakes that you would make without their you know their influence um I, I enjoy getting like a, a, a first person account of his experiences in the military. I think it was really interesting. Yeah, I think uh, some of the uh, recounts of his experience were uh, really fascinating, especially with uh, some of the stories he told about actually being in active conflict and uh, flying a helicopter. That was all fascinating. Yeah, the idea of having a lump in your throat and being having this constant concern of death or peril is. It's admirable how so many people are able to get through that and even sleep under that kind of stress. Yeah, especially uh, in like the middle of a red zone, like you're just kind of out there on the uh, on the field. You have this like overwhelming like paranoia about what's going to happen, and the the uh, resilience that Mr. Stinson uh, showed in that event was incredibly admirable. Thanks for listening to the Operation Crest podcast. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Today's hosts were Shah and me, and our guest was Rogers Raj Stinson. The music was provided royalty-free by Coma Media and We Video. The questions were written by us, and the editing was done by our teacher, Mr. Finler. Until next time, see ya.